five chains, you have to hit over 300. Green hair matters. What I'm saying, you can do that stuff, but you better make sure you hit well. Welcome into the Empire State of Mind podcast, presented to you by USA Today and Mesmerized Online. Today we have a special edition as we are live at the newest sponsor for the Empire State of Mind podcast, Chamber Sports Performance, located in Albany, New York. Make sure you go and check them out. And with us today is owner-operator Scott Chambers, former ace of Marist College, as well his hitting guru, Dr. Josh DeCipio, former Boston College Eagle standout. Both of them here joining us for what I would like to think is an open discussion on the state of the game. So, Josh, I know I'm going to start right with you because you are fired up already. Why in Major League Baseball right now are people hitting below 200 and getting paid $340 million? A lot of it to me is facilities and coaches and hitting coaches and trainers are pigeonholing athletes into one style of hitting regardless of their size, their talent, and their ability. So they're throwing blanket training and blanket templates of how to hit on every single player, regardless of their size, their talent, their skill set. What works for one person might not work for the other person. You know, hitting is very much an art. You know, every yep. artist has got their own unique skill set that they got to be able to use and be free to use and develop and evolve. Now, are you finding this across just the major league levels or is this all the way down? At this point, I could tell where a hitter trains based on their stance and their approach almost instantaneously. And in this area, there's literally probably, what would you say, three hitting coaches? Three or four in this area? Probably closer. And every single one is outside of you know our facility. I could pick out exactly where they hit just based on their approach. Because if they train at this facility, they're all swing this way. If they train at that facility, they're all trained this way. Whereas I use the approach of kind of letting the hitters evolve their own swings based on the framework they're given. Right? You're not going to teach a kid who's 6'2", 220 to swing like a guy who's 5'9", 160. They've got different attributes. You got to learn how to kind of maximize people's strengths and minimize their efficiencies. But coaches today are kind of just throwing a blanket over everybody, regardless of what their skill set is and what they're good at or what they're not good at. So it's kind of teaching all the kids how to hit one style. And all these styles are replicating people in the pros, which, you know, eight year olds, 13 year olds, even 17 year olds are not as good as the pros in terms of their recognition skills, their balance, their technique. So it's basically taking all the freedom away from kids learning how to hit through their own evolution of their own swing, learning how to do it their way, which works best for them. So when, when would you say this shift in the philosophy of the game I think occurred? It started about six or seven years ago at launch angle which I have seen be successful for some hitters. So there's three kinds of schools of thought I break down hitting. I break it down to launch angle. I think Josh Donaldson, get on on playing with the ball right away, get the ball in the air as much as possible, which I have seen be successful for certain players, catchers, big hitters. Flag's a good example of that. uh, RBI guys, big RBI guys. Um, 
Then you have the ambush style, which I think is way less successful for most hitters, which is basically let the ball get deep and swing as hard as you possibly can to see how far the ball will go. Every single swing, no matter the count. And then there's a traditional style, which is basically playing the game the right way, being able to hit line drive, being able to hit the ball in the air when needed, and being able to hit the ball on the ground when needed, and leaving it more flexible and adjustable. So between those three schools of thought, because everyone wants to see so many home runs, you have a lot of guys in the ambush category and the launch angle category. The launch angle category being, I think, the first real shift from tra traditional hitting, but I have seen it work for certain players. So then let me ask you this, Scott. How has pitching adjusted to this new school of philosophy and hitting? I mean, you see it in interviews. You've seen it in interviews with Max Scherzer. You've seen it in interviews with Garrett Cole. Um, Scherzer said it the best. He, he loves being in the National League because he sits in during batting practice, so he's able to see what these hitters are thinking, hitting, what these hitters are, are taught. So he's more aware of, yeah, fastballs up in the zone work if you have high spin rates. If you have that little bit of lift to the ball where it's not actually rising but it fights gravity at a higher clip, it stays on plane a little bit longer, a little less dip, and you're working over the barrel of all these guys who are trying to swing out of their shoes. Um, Garrett Cole said in an interview with, with David Cohn also, he learned it when he got to the Astros, of throw fastballs up, sliders down. Mm -hmm. And you saw last night in the game, he did it to one of the Blue Jays guys, I forget who it was, but he threw a fastball at the letters, guy took it, it was a ball, and then threw a slider in the dirt, wasn't even close to the zone, yeah. But he swung out of his shoes on two strikes and, and didn't even come close to it. Um, so I think it's it's kind of evolving to allowing the pitchers to be more dominant at this stage of, you know, throw fastballs up. And no longer the days where you have the, the Maddoxes working in and out. Now it's up and down. Yeah. And, you know, true. and you're changing eye levels, but the hitters aren't making the adjustments. So now you're seeing the, the, the studs of the league hitting 200, 210, 180. Instead of the, they're getting paid to hit 250 with 30 home runs, 40 home runs, just the averages aren't there anymore. Now, so far this year, I'm not saying in the past, because you still got Vlad who's hitting 300 with, with a bunch of homers. But I'd prefer to have, as in a lineup, I'd rather take a Kuna. And I'd be more fearful of pitching to a Kuna than I would be a flat because I'd be able to get away with different pitches. Um, has, that's just coming from the pitching perspective. Has the mentality of the pitcher changed in the way they set up batters and their pitch counts and the way that they sequence uh, at bats? Uh, yeah, it all goes hand in hand. Like I said, you're not working in and out anymore. You're working up and down. So you're working the four seam more than you're working the two seam. I mean, there's nasty two seams. Don't get me wrong. Dustin May, disgusting two seam. Um, but you're seeing more four seams up in the zone. You're seeing a lot of sliders now up in the zone. Bauer's getting away with a lot of sliders yeah. up in the zone because he sets it up with the high fastball. Yep. So it all stems around and up and down instead of in and out. So when it comes to the launch angle and ambush style, balls you want to lift in the air, balls you want to t tank. So as a hitter, the balls that are up in the zone are the most appealing. So if you come in, if you're facing a hitter as a pitcher who you know is a power hitter who likes to hit the ball from long ways, those pitches up to them look like big stakes. 
the hardest pitch to lay off. But if you hit your spot and you got velo, those pitches, although they look great with their style of swing, they will swing and miss pretty much 60, 70, 80% of the time. They don't make the adjustment. Well, what do you think? One of the things you had mentioned earlier, especially talking about velo, is that seems that that's the new adjustments. There's no painting on the black. There's no corner for, pitching for, anymore. It's just how pitchers, hard can I pitch it? For pitchers, yeah, I think a lot of the, a lot of the numbers games is related to velo. Whether it's distance off the bat, exit velo, whether it's velo from the pitcher or spin rate, all these saber metrics. I think they're what they call it. That's what everyone's looking for, as opposed to just you know the simple basic eighty-seven on the black red Maddox style. But you know there are pitchers that do pitch like that. You just don't see them in the media as much anymore because people want to see the high numbers. The one local guy that pitches like that is Ian Anderson. Ian Successful. Anderson. He paints. Paints. Now you ask how pitchers or hitters can hit that ninety-seven. If they're working up, they have no chance. The hitters won't have a chance. But same way a hitter comes into the box swinging out of their shoes, a lot of these pitchers who have high velo, they're just trying to throw as hard as they can, which is why you know we were talking earlier about how all these hitters are getting hit in the face. You know, baseball's been along, around a long time. I never saw pitchers getting hit or hitters getting hit in the face as much. So pitchers are trying to overthrow, just like hitters are trying to overswing just to get those numbers instead of doing what baseball is, which is the mastering of the basics. Yeah, let me ask you about that actually, Scott. Since 1900, there has not been as many hit-by-pitch at-bats as there has been already this season. On pace for almost one hit-by-pitch a game. What is going on with pitchers where they can't pitch on the inside anymore? They're not trained to do it at a young age. I think it all comes stems from... Pitchers are now being trained to throw hard. And that's a struggle I come across every day is my kid isn't throwing hard enough. My kid isn't throwing hard. My kid isn't throwing hard. How do I throw hard when I don't know where the ball's going? And I I mean, I can speak on that personally because I threw really hard, but I was also trained from a young age to work the inner half. I was trying to train at a young age to work in, establish the inner half early and then work out. Now, mind you, I hit a fair share of my own players, but at the same time, I was able to establish the inner half. Hitters would take a step off the plate, and then I was able to work the outer half after. So I think it's more along the lines of everybody is so gung-ho on certain showcases and this and that. I want to throw hard. I want the highest spin rate. The metrics. Whereas, yeah, that's great. But how does that translate to game? The game. And That's in, what everyone's skipping. In my eyes, what you do in a game is more important than how you perform in a bullpen setting. Now, my favorite, one of my favorite pitchers at the facility, when I first saw him throwing a bullpen, I, I kind of was like, oh, okay. He's nothing special. Kind of whatever. Then you watch him in a game and the way he works hitters and the way he works the mound and his tempo. I mean, he's one of my good pitchers and he doesn't throw hard, but he knows how to work in and out. He knows how to work up and down. He can command three pitches for strikes. Um, Does that equate to a power five conference kid? No, but at the end of the day, he's more successful than the kids that are trying to throw out of their shoes and walking six, seven, eight guys a game. We're here talking with Scott Chambers and Josh DeCipio, owner operators 
of Chamber Sports Performance in Albany, New York. So let me ask you both then, and you know, whichever one of you guys wants to tackle it first, how does this translate to the state of the game going forward? Because it's, it's the way these kids are trained from a young age, and unless the mindset of the way the game is played at a young age changes back to the way it was, it's not going to go back. Um, and it stems from travel baseball starting at eight years old. I don't get it. I personally don't understand it. Because then you're putting all this pressure on these kids to throw hard and hit bombs and blah, blah, blah. Instead of having fun playing the game, learning to play the game the right way, and learning the small ball and, and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, showcases have their place. I'm not against them in any means. But at the same time, the kids need to learn the basics from a young age instead of worrying about if Johnny's going to make the, the A team for the travel or the B team for travel. What happened to the Little League where you had all-stars where the good kids played all-stars? And that was it. There's no complaining. There's no whining and crying. But now everybody's got to play travel baseball, whether they're good or not. And it's They're playing a college schedule, 50, 60 games at 11 years old. Right. Not getting any training, having dads coach them, who mostly never played the game, who are looking for, just like Scotty as a pitcher deals with people coming here from Vivo, for me and MN, they were talking about power with kids who can't even put the ball in play. But I, he hit the nail on the head, man. It starts with travel ball and then the way the game is portrayed in terms of how to play it, right? So how does that then translate to the major league game where we see ratings down, runs down, not a lot of action, you know, I think strikeouts it starts, up? I think it, starts, it starts at a young age. It starts at a young age, but they're, I think they set the precedent and then everyone else kind of follows. They are all trying to imitate these guys. Right. They're trying to. We were trying to imitate. I was trying to imitate Tony Wood and Ozzy Smith. Was he was Pedro. He was trying to imitate Pedro. Both all those players we just named are all fundamental and can do every little thing right. If Pedro needed to throw an 86 mile an hour fastball in the outer part of the plate to hit a spot, he would do that. If Tony Wood needed to choke up to put a ball in play in a big situation. Because there's a shift on or what have you, he would do that. These players today, they don't do that. That's why they get away with the shift. Back in the day, they shifted on the, the hitters. They would just simply say, I'm just going to put the ball where they're not. Which they cannot do in the pros at this point. They leave wide open gaps in the shifts. And the hitters still can't make the adjustment to hit the ball where the players aren't. So in your opinion, Josh, do you think this game is healthy and has a future yeah, to grow? I mean... Six years ago, when I went to the uh, Connie Mack World Series for 16 year olds, a guy from UConn, head coach, and been coaching there for a decade or two decades, he told me the sport was down 40 to 50% towards the end. And it all starts with travel baseball because those kids who just start traveling at 11 years old, by the time they're 16, they're burnt out. Families can't afford it. They're not getting better. Their talent isn't showing because as you progress in age, everyone gets better and the, 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 field, the playing field kind of levels out and they give up. And I don't blame him. I'd be burnt out too if I was playing 60 games. I played 20 games. This guy played rec. Rec, all-stars, on to the next sport. All these, a lot of these kids are playing one sport. Baseball, that's it, playing 60 games. Their parents are spending probably 10 grand a summer. We couldn't afford it. I couldn't, our families couldn't even afford it. So by the time they get to 16 and they start seeing, oh my God, I'm not as good as I really thought it was because all those years I spent playing 60 game seasons, I'm not getting trained. You're not as good as you think you are by the time you get 15, 16, and you want to quit it. 
And baseball is just a, a tough sport in general. You fail a lot. It's not meant for everybody. A lot of people can't handle the failure, failure that's intrinsic to this game, even if you are good. It's a lot of sport in the, in the, you know what I mean? the world. Yeah. So then before we get you out of here, same question for you, Scott. Where, where do you think the health of the game is at the major league level in its future? I, I honestly don't even know how to answer that because there's, there's a young kids who, who enjoy watching the guys strike out five times but hitting one home run. And then there's old school heads like myself who I, I like it because the, the pitchers are winning. Right now it's time to pitch. Right. I enjoy the pitching aspect of the game. However, I don't enjoy the fact that even like two years ago, we're snelling the, the playoffs. It's all metrics, oh, and you yeah. take them out in the fifth inning when the kids shove it. Like, you got to leave them in. Was that last year? Was that That's last year. Was yeah, last yeah, year? yeah, yeah. Um, and then I hear, like, what the, the Rays do is they train these kids to throw 100 miles an hour for 20 pitches. I mean, how, how relative is that to actually being successful? He was trying to reinvent everything. I just, I, I get it, but I don't get it. I'm on board, but I'm not on board. I'm, I'm in the middle because I enjoy watching a guy throw 100 miles an hour, but I also miss the art of baseball. I miss the art of competitive baseball, where, where it's a fun, fun game. Yeah. When you had Clemens, Pettit, you had Randy Johnson, you had all these guys. And now you have four or five starters that can go five innings. Nobody throws complete games for the most part anymore. I don't know. I'm in the middle. Well, that, that's a good thing. Though. That's, that's where we all should be. It's called flexibility. There's going to be some players that, yeah, they, sh- they should be throwing 20 pitches at 100 miles an hour. That's fine. There should be hitters that are in the lineup to hit tanks and get RBIs. Yeah, but but it shouldn't be yanking a pitcher it shouldn't be showing in the World that's, that's Series because the metrics say to pull. Absolutely. Like, that's Absolutely. Or benching a certain hitter, even though he's been hot for two, two weeks because he's facing a pitcher that he hasn't been successful in the past. Not all data is 100% accurate. There's flaws in it. You have to take it's taking the feel out of the game, and a lot of this games, any sport, is instinctual, and they're taking all that out and bait and putting the responsibility on people who never played the sport, who put it into a computer, who don't understand the game, don't understand what it what it's like to be in a vibe. Yeah, the idea the idea is you take the data, but then make decisions based off upon it, not just be a uh, be. Driven by the data no matter what. Just always go by Because even if the data says, yeah, you have a 70% chance success rate, that means you still can fail 30% of the time. Yeah, in baseball, the best hitters ever to play the game failed 7 out of 10 times. They failed 70% of the time they they're still in the hall. It takes all the fun out of sports, which is, which is instinct, right? A vibe, a wave, right? Understanding how that is and, and, and understanding that feeling is something baseball players and true athletes will understand. Someone who graduated from Harvard or quantitative analysis PhD, and I have a PhD, they're not going to understand these things I'm talking about. They're not going to understand that sometimes that is wrong. Actually, in sports, a lot of the times, especially in the playoffs where things are different, the context is different, the stress is different. Those, that, those data points you use for the regular season aren't going to necessarily apply to the playoffs where you're facing great pitchers at every game every pitch matters you look at billy bean back in the day it works over 162 games for the most part but once you get to the playoffs you've got to go with what 
your head says. Absolutely. And, and look at Tom Brady and, and look at football. I mean, it's a different sport, but Tom Brady is successful because they do all the little things right and they don't overlook those little things and take them for granted to go to the big things of a widespread offense. Never run the football. Just throw, throw, throw. They do all the little things. Every year he's successful with it. And that's how it is. He's good at doing the fundamentals. These sports are fundamentals. Mastering the fundamentals is what makes you good. Not data, not velocity, not exit velo, right? It's the mastering of the fundamentals and remaining disciplined to them that will make you successful over a long period of time, especially in the playoffs. Well, if you're in the Capital District, somewhere where you want to go and learn the fundamentals is certainly Chambers Sports Performance. And I appreciate both of you guys taking a few moments out of your time to be a part of the Empire State of Mind podcast. Scott Chambers, owner, operator, former ace of Maris Foxes as well. Josh DeCipio, hitting guru, Dr. Josh DeCipio, and former Boston College Eagles standout. This has been the Empire State of Mind podcast. As always, we are presented by Mesmerize Online and USA Today. You can follow us on Twitter at Empire State Pod or on Instagram at Empire State of Mind Pod. As always, I'm your host, Zachary Grady. Follow me at UZigOmZag. Until the next time we speak, keep living life with an Empire State of Mind. Hey, we're not done yet. Don't go anywhere. Coming at you right now, our second installment of Five Fan Minutes here on the Empire State of Mind podcast. Welcome back into the Empire State of Mind podcast. As always, we are brought to you by Mesmerize Online USA Today. I'm your host, Zachary Grady, and I am proud to bring back for its second installment a little segment we like to do here called Five Fan Minutes, because that's what this is, folks. It's a conversation with you, the fans. And joining us today, Nick Patrick-Chuck, a lifelong Mets fan, here to tell us what the boys in blue and orange mean to him. So thank you, Nick, very much for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Zach. So as always, the first thing I need to ask you is, what was your first memory? How did you become a fan of the boys of Blue and Orange, the Amazings here? Um, go, it goes way back uh, when I was seven, eight years old. My dad would take me to obviously one of the best places out there, Shea Stadium, uh, seeing the boy, boys in Blue and Orange play every maybe like four times a year. And one memory that stuck with me, not a good memory, but it made me show my true passion was um, – I think it was 07 or 08, uh, the Phillies came to town. It was one of those September collapses. And I knew then it was going to be a tough time being a fan. But as you know, Zach, just being like resilient is who Mets fans are. So, and now just finally getting to go back to City Field this year. I'm going to the Rockies game at some point next week. So that'll be great to finally cheer on the guys in person as opposed to just being on TV. So let, let's elaborate on a little something you said there. 07, 08. I, I have a little bit better memory of them as than you do. I mean, it's what being a dinosaur does for you, but oh, oh well. Um, obviously, those were two epic collapses. Yes, both years losing to the Phillies. And that led into some really lean years in 09, 10, 11. Even though that was the beginning of City Field, those weren't great teams. How did you endure 
during that stretch to maintain your Metzdom? Well, it was definitely tough, but obviously having a guy like David Wright there, even Johan Santana with his, uh, that no hitter was definitely electric during that time. And then some other like guys coming up the Grom, Har Harvey, especially in a 2013 or 2012, rather the second half of the season in Arizona, can't forget that debut. And then just a couple other guys, uh, Lucas Duda, uh, all-time favorite, Ike Davis, great guys to watch, but definitely tested the, uh, tested the fandom, but here we are today. <laughs> Big fan of the first basemans apparently, but so let's talk about the dark night there. You mentioned him, Matt Harvey had a chance last week to take the mound again in city field. And fortunately not his best outing of the season, certainly an emotional outing for him. What were your emotions when you got a chance to see Harvey back in Queens? Um, in my personal opinion, I would have been, I wasn't there, but I would have cheered him on. I mean, he left it all on the field in 2015, obviously game five, uh, 2015 world series. He's never been the same since, but he, he literally begged Terry to go back in, in that ninth inning. Well, he, he was over a hundred pitches. He should have been taken out, but I just love the heart. I mean, you can't hold it against a guy who's dealing, wanting to finish it out. But like I said, I would have cheered him on. I know he was a little, he got, he rubbed the media the wrong way, but personally it's like his own business off the field and I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he, I, I didn't hope he did well on a, last week, but the rest of the season, he can, he can deal. Well, someone who's certainly not been rubbing the wrong way, the media, the wrong way, since he's arrived has been new Mets hitting coach, Donnie Stevenson. What are your thoughts on what's happened so far with this Mets offense and the Donnie Stevenson saga? I, I love the Donnie saga, but other than that, the Mets, they got to start hitting, especially our new 341 million dollar man Frankie Lindor he's still under the 200 line as of last time I checked I think he he had a home run Saturday but he struck out maybe seven times this weekend so everyone's got to step up but I love Pete taking the uh, alter ego and just keeping the guys together especially now like we said Conforto McNeil both on the uh, on the men now and hopefully guys like JD and Nimmo can come back maybe by the end of the week, but we'll have to see. Yeah. There is a lot of angst at the moment for a team that's performing relatively well, seeing DeGrom's down, Thor's down, cookies down, no Lugo so far this year. Now McNeil and Conforto on top of it. Nimmo had a stint. They're doing pretty well for a team that's lost a lot of its core. So, I mean, the messiness is, is it's there for this team. So, but what are your expectations for the rest of this season for the 2021 Mets? Personally, I think this team is right neck and neck with the Braves when fully healthy. Uh, right now, I feel like they just got to stay afloat. I mean, guys like Peraza, um, VR and Pilar, they've been, uh, they've exceeded my expectations personally but they can only go so far because they're role players. But I mean, I hope they continue it, but once everyone's back, I expect this team to challenge for a pennant and maybe even a world series. We'll love to see them against the Dodgers again, but that's a lot to ask at, at this very moment in time. 
but while well, I say this, we're still sitting in first place. So we still got to be happy about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, all right, before our time is up and we get you out of here, as always on five fan minutes, Nick, I need to know from you, what is your Mets memory? Everyone has a little one that's different. Everyone has one that's specific to them. What is your amazing memory? I'd have to go with first one that came to my mind was either Matt Harvey's first home run against the D-backs in 2015 or going to the uh, game two of the NLCS, uh, Thor versus Arietta. That was an electric, I, I had standing room only tickets. So that was just electric scene city as packed as it was. And I hope it could be just as packed uh, come October. Hopefully we're playing deep into it. So, Nick, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. Make sure everyone goes out and follows him at NickP36 on Instagram. This again has been Five Fan Minutes. And if you want to be a part of Five Fan Minutes, make sure you reach out at Empire State Pod on Twitter, at Empire State of Mind Pod on Instagram. Nick, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Zach. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Let's go, Matt. LGM. And that's it for us as well this week. We appreciate you joining us on the Empire State of Mind podcast. As always, we are brought to you by Mesmerize Online and USAToday.com. Big, big shout out to our newest sponsor. Thank you to Chambers Sports Performance, to Scott Chambers and Josh Sicipio for joining us this week. If you are in the Capital District, make sure you check them out. 134 Lincoln Avenue in Colony, New York. Check them out at www.chambersportsperformance.com, the premier baseball facilities in the Capital District. As well, want a big, big, big shout out to Lauren DeMeo, our production assistant, and our amazing guest booker for graduating this weekend from the University of Albany. Big shout out to her and big things in our her future. Once again, I'm Zachary Grady. You can follow me at Uzig. I'm Zag on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow the show on Instagram at Empire State of Mind Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Empire State Pod. Don't forget to take part in the weekly Twitter poll that is up and active right now for you. And starting next week, all of our episodes will be streamed on both Facebook and YouTube. So make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, follow us wherever you do. Download us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until we speak again, keep living life with an empire state of mind. <laughs>